Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and today I'm excited to have Justin Jackson, who's a co-founder of Transistor.fm, which is a podcasting podcast hosting and analytics company. They do podcast hosting for folks like Basecamp, Indie Hackers, and others. And Justin is the founder of Mega Maker and writer of Marketing Vendives. Uh, he was earlier the product manager of Mail Order Interactive. Uh, welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks. It's good to be here. Awesome. These, so, are, these are my favorite type of shows. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, really happy to have you here. You know, uh, I want to know, you know, how did you get uh, interested to get work in startups? In startups? Uh, well, I've been interested in computers my whole life. I was born uh, in the 80s and got a, uh, my dad brought home a Commodore VIC-20 probably in 85. And I was very interested in that, just learning how to use a computer. Uh, I liked that you could make it do things. I liked that you could make it interactive. So I've been interested in technology for a long time. And then I had a little bit of a hiatus. I I went to school for business and then got married pretty early and we had a a child pretty early. And so I needed to get a job. So I got a job uh, out of uh, business school. And then in 2008, uh, and didn't really work in tech for a long time, worked in retail, worked in nonprofits. And then in uh, 2008, I wanted to make a career change and uh, I, I applied for a bunch of different jobs. I applied for some sales jobs. I applied uh, different places. But then a founder of a startup in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, contacted me and said he wanted to hire me. And I, I don't think he exactly knew what I would do for him, but uh, that was how I got introduced to tech startups. I went and worked at Mailout Interactive in 2008. I think my first week on the job, he gave me a copy of Getting Real by 37 Signals, uh, which was just this free PDF book. It's still free. You can still get it. And I remember reading that and it just blew my mind. Like I was instantly enthralled with this idea of running a business like that. And I had had my own businesses in the past. I, I owned a couple snowboard shops. Uh, I had little businesses when I was in high school and college. I did web design and uh, wedding videos. And so uh, getting to see how the software business worked and how tech worked, and especially how much leverage a small indie company could have was really appealing to me. So I read that uh, Basecamp book in a day and kind of at that moment, I knew I wanted to start another company. Uh, and really, I wanted to bootstrap my own software company. Absolutely. I think the Basecamp is, is one of the one of the best, uh, you know, bootstrap companies in the world. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, you, you've done a lot, lot of, you know, side projects, and you've been into, <clears throat> into podcasting since I think 2012. But mm-hmm. what, what, what got you really interested into podcasting? Oh, I mean, this is what's so interesting about life is the actions we take, they're usually not the result of just like one thing. 
they're the result of a sequence of things, a culmination of a bunch of things. And I've always been into radio. When I was a kid, I used to, you know, driving around with my dad in, I grew up in this little farm town in Alberta. So he had a pickup truck and we listened to talk radio. Uh, there's CBC radio here in Canada. And also uh, there's just uh, 630 Ched talk radio. And I really loved talk radio. I wanted to, sometimes I would pretend I would turn off the radio and I would pretend I was the host asking a guest questions. Uh, so the idea of having a radio program or a talk radio show was always there. And I, I, I think I would have even gone into radio if it just didn't look, it looks so hard. Like you had to really kind of uh, commit yourself to it and the money wasn't that good and there was no guarantees. So when podcasts came around, uh, I would listen to podcasts. Like I listened to Dignation quite a bit on the bus. Uh, and the idea of starting one was really appealing, uh, but I never acted on it until my friend Kyle Fox invited me to, well, he just reached out to me one day and he said, Hey, we're both product managers. We're both into product. Why don't we start a podcast where we talk about product? And uh, that was in 2012. And that was, that was it. Once I've, I've been podcasting ever since then. And I would say it's probably a tie between blogging and podcasting, but those two things together have had a, a massive impact on me, my career, and where I am today. They're just every, almost every opportunity I've had, almost every career jump, almost every, everything really has come through either podcasting or blogging. I think, I think that's very interesting. And I would say, you know, podcasting is one of the best things I did. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, like, it's like a cheat code to meet some very interesting people, uh, you know, uh, as I yeah. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, yeah. It, it, especially, I mean, it's a little bit more competitive now, but the, it's, it is gratifying to have someone reach out and say, hey, can, do you want to be on my show? Uh, and, you know, normally to get uh, access to some of these folks is just impossible. But a lot of people and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of folks who have had some success, they really like this format. And so getting, getting them on the line and on a microphone isn't as hard as saying, you know, can we grab coffee or can I get a minute of your time or whatever? So yeah, it's kind of a cheat code, like you said, <laughs> for getting a hold of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, you, you know, you've done a lot of other, other, you know, side projects, but, uh, how did, uh, how did the start for transistor happen? So again, it's kind of a culmination of a bunch of things. Um, so starting that podcast in 2012, 2014, I went to XOXO Festival in Portland, and my friend Chase invited, uh, introduced me to his friend, John Buddha. And John, at the time, had just built the first version of Simplecast, and he was looking for people to review it. He was looking for people to submit it to Product Hunt. And so I said, oh, I'll, I'll help you out. And so I uh, switched my podcast over to him and we uh, gave him a bunch of feedback, helped him promote it a bit. 
And then we just kept hanging out every year. You know, our life changed. He ended up going, uh, leaving Simplecast and going and working for Cards Against Humanity. Uh, I was doing my own projects. But then near the end of 2017, we were both in our late 30s. We were both looking for a new project. And we both liked working together. We'd done a few things together already and uh, thought he was building another podcasting platform. And I just had always been a part of podcasting. And I noticed that it was ascendant. Like the, there were more people podcasting. There, were, there was more companies that were starting shows. Uh, there's a op-ed in the New York Times every week about podcasting. And the timing seemed right. It felt like the wave was building. And so I begged him <laughs> to let me be a part of Transistor. And uh, he thought about it for a while and then eventually came back and said, yeah, let's do this together, but let's do it right. So we went and signed partnership agreements, got it all done properly with a lawyer. And yeah, I became a 50, 50% stakeholder in Transistor Inc., and uh, we've, we, yeah, from that moment on, we just started working together on the side, uh, opened up early access in February, March, and then launched officially August, 2018. That's, that's very interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, how, how did you find your first uh, few customers for, for Transistor? This is the, why it's helpful to have been doing all that other stuff before. So, you know, on John's side, he'd been in the, te the Chicago tech scene for a long time, knew a lot of podcasters uh, from working at Cards Against Humanity. Uh, Cards had a bunch of podcast studios in their office. And um, so he had a bunch of connections and that's how we got some of our first customers. And then I had been building an audience um, for basically since I launched the podcast. So I had a, a group of people who knew me and um, who knew about me and were interested in what I was going to do next. And so uh, I'd say, you know, a good 75% of our initial customers came from my audience, came from this little uh, community for bootstrappers I've been running called MegaMaker. And uh all of the things I did in the past, all of those connections we built ended up being, yeah, probably our first 100, 200, 300 customers. Got it. And, um, uh, you, know, you know, I think when you start in 2018, you uh, were able to, you know, reach your MRR uh, of uh, around 30,000 um, uh, but just wanted to understand, you know, uh, what's, what's your current MRR and what's the, you know, CAC 12 duration, you know, how, how do you, how do you look at the metrics for, for your company? Sure. Uh, so we, we were sharing our revenue publicly for the first, yeah, for the first bit up until we hit uh, 30,000 MRR. Uh, and when was that? That was, yeah. So we hit 30,000 uh, just after September, 2019. And then we stopped sharing our revenue numbers publicly. Uh, I, can, I can't give you exact numbers, but I can tell you that it's, it's over, uh, in terms of annual revenue, we're doing over seven figures uh, every year. 
And we have thousands of customers, uh, 5,000 customers probably, um, and uh, serve over 14,000 podcasts on, oh. on the platform. Um, I think in terms of valuation, that's, that's a hard one. We're, the, the biggest thing about Transistor, we're a small company. Like as of this recording, it's still just John and I as full-time employees. Oh. We're uh, just hiring a full-time customer, uh, customer success person right now. And uh, so it's, it's, there's lots of margin. There's lots of financial margin. There's lots of time margin. It's an enjoyable job. <laughs> like every day we show up and we get to work together. Uh, John and I have become even better friends. If either of us needs to take a day or a week off, we can. There's no requirement that, you know, I clock in at 9 a.m. and leave at 6 or whatever. So in terms of valuation, uh, when people have come by and asked us, you know, are you interested in being acquired or investment? Uh, we almost always say, no. we always say no. We've always said no, because there's just nothing like they could offer us money. But at this point, a, you know, even a, a million dollar investment wouldn't really help us. Like we have enough profit that we can continue to invest in the business on our own. And, um, you know, personally, as founders, we have, uh, you know, a comfortable living. Like for the first time in my life, I've been able to pay off debt. Um, I've been able to help my daughter go to college. Um, and so, there, yeah, the, it would have to be a pretty big number. And even then... We, John and I would have to consider whether we wanted to go and work for another company and have golden handcuffs for three, four, five years. Uh, right now, we're just really enjoying the, really enjoying the work, and it feels like any any offer would have to kind of compete with that. So, yeah, we're. How do how do you value a company like that? I don't know. It, there's so much more to a company's valuation than money, right? Like, okay. what kind of life am I going to have if I have to go work for whoever, IBM or Salesforce or whatever? Is that going to be a good life for me? Am I going to enjoy that? Um, so, I'm not saying we'd never take, uh, never sell the company because you can't run a company forever. Uh, and there's definitely some existential threats in the podcast industry, but overall, uh, it's been incredibly gratifying and we are really thankful to be in a good place right now and to not be desperate for investment, desperate for debt financing, or desperate for a uh, acquisition. Great. And I think you made a couple of, couple of great points and, uh, oh, you know, I hired uh uh, I, I wanted to know, you know, uh, should, should somebody start a company uh, looking into having an exit strategy or should they should they start uh, something small and see, you know, where they're going, uh, going from there? Uh, does it does it really matter if, you know, you you try to build a forever company or have an exit strategy? in? A... I mean, I think it's difficult to build for an exit. Uh, 
everything's a risk. Like you're always making a bet. Uh, but uh, betting on an exit and a good exit is kind of like, I don't know what the poker equivalent would be, but it's like, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're betting everything on one possible outcome. I think what's better to do, what is important is as you evaluate the things you're interested in, you also want to evaluate them from the perspective of how much pull there is in the market for what you're thinking about building. So how do you know that people want this and are going to buy this? And having to answer that question, like, how do you know? How do you know that there's people that out there looking for this right now? Uh, you have to go, like, are they searching on Google for this right now? Are they asking people for recommendations on Twitter? Are they, um, you know, going to conferences and trade shows, actively seeking a solution like this? That's the important piece. And software specifically is really a volume game. It works on volume. Everything from traffic, like you need, even for a small little indie software company, you need thousands of people visiting your website every month. And from those thousands of visitors, you need, in our case, we need hundreds and hundreds of trials every month, people trying it out. And we're, we are credit card up front. So people putting in their credit card, trying it free for 14 days. And then you need to convert a fair number of those. And um, if there's no existing momentum, if there's not people already actively in motion trying to seek out a solution like you're offering, it's going to be very difficult. So I would build for market momentum uh, before I would build for an exit. And the more evidence you can find, the more demonstrated demand you can see, um, the, the, the easier it is to build the company and really have a good life. Like people start businesses, they're taking this enormous risk because they want to have a better life. And uh, too often I see people sacrificing that better life for lofty ideas that aren't actually, that aren't actually helpful. You, you want to go after something that's going to give you the life you want. You want to go after the opportunities that are going to give you the life you want. And so at least articulate what do you want. It doesn't have to be what you're going to be committed to forever. But, you know, for me, I want freedom, flexibility, margin, both in terms of my time, my energy, everything. And, um, you know, I'm in my late 30s and I'd had a couple of businesses that had done okay, but not great. And so I kind of needed some payback money for all those years I'd invested as an entre entrepreneur before that hadn't really panned out um, the way I wanted to. And so uh, that, that's what I wanted. And then um, I, I needed to find a market, a product category that could offer me at least that, right? Nice. So podcasting is not massive. There's, it's pretty small actually. Like our, the biggest competitor in paid podcast hosting probably has 80,000, 85,000 podcasts on the platform. Um, so that's not a, a 
uh, that's not a massive, massive uh, number, but it's a big enough category that we were able to carve out a little bit of space for us and uh, be competitive. And so far it's, it's worked out okay. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, market uh, can be very important uh, with, you know, what kind of lifestyle you choose and, you know, what uh, the uh, final outcome you have. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, for, for, for listeners who are, uh, you know, first stage on earth, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, what advice would you give on how to choose a market and how do you validate uh, your product? Yeah, so for me, it's kind of like surfing. Um, in order for surfers to catch good waves, they have to do a lot of things. First, you got to learn to surf. Second, you've got to practice a ton. You've got to build up those muscles. You've got to spend lots of time paddling. Most of surfing is just paddling. You've got to show up you know, every day, every week paddle in the water, looking at waves, learn to recognize and observe the shape of good waves. And to me, good waves are a metaphor for good business opportunities or good market opportunities. And so, yeah, for new entrepreneurs, make sure you've put in the time. Like uh, podcasting was a, a natural place for John and I to go because we both had experience in it. We had connections here. We had some unfair advantages. We had, um, you know, I had been a podcaster since 2012. I knew tons of podcasters. So finding our initial customers uh, wasn't difficult because I just had to convince people who are already in motion, who I already had a relationship with to switch to our platform. Um, but it takes time to build up all that stuff. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to take you as much time. You know, I, it kind of happened slow for me over decades. And sometimes it takes decades. But I think if you were in your early 20s, um, you know, there's some great examples of incredible entrepreneurs like Nathan Barry, who in their very early 20s just started swimming in the water, started practicing, started showing up and uh, were able to observe opportunities, these kind of approaching waves. In his case, it was email newsletters for creators. And uh, at a very young age, was able to swim out and start getting in motion, building something. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the key. And finding good opportunities and good categories takes some experimentation. It takes you know time. It just takes time. Uh, getting out of your bubble, being interested in a bunch of different things, having friendships and connections with a bunch of different people, going and working for somebody else, uh, seeing what that's like, and uh, building some stuff on your own. I think the other characteristic of successful entrepreneurs is they're always in motion. So even if that new side project you're working on isn't going to be a million dollar idea, just working on it. Being in motion, putting something out in public, uh, building something will expose you to new ideas, new markets, new opportunities. Right. And 
would you suggest entrepreneurs to bootstrap a project uh, on on the side i think uh, as you mentioned that you know you you have had opportunities when you're doing something mm-hmm. and that's when you know all these transitions have happened but but would you advise entrepreneurs to quit the jobs and go full on uh, full on uh, onto the projects or should they bootstrap bootstrap it on the side yeah i mean that's probably an individual choice for me it was never an option because um we had children quite young and yeah. so by the time i was 28 we already had four kids uh and uh just quitting cold turkey wasn't an option now my oldest is 18 oh. and you know they could at this point in their life with very they have no dependents they their costs are very low for them to you know not have a job for a while and just work on some side projects might not be a bad idea um so it probably depends on what your context is uh i think you definitely when you're younger you want to optimize for learning as much as you can and then experiment with earning uh and then yeah a vi- but starting on the side is usually the best bet for most people unless you've raised some funding and i used to be pretty opposed to raising funding but you know there was a time when early on when we were building transistor bootstrapping it self funding it um that were very difficult financially and i think um re- reducing your risk of becoming broke or burnout is uh not a bad idea uh if you can hold on and not get investment i think that is better because you just own more of the company uh there's less pressure less pressure to go big all that stuff but um there's some great new funds now like earnest capital and tiny seed that will give you you know 100 to 300,000 and um they their expectation isn't that you become a billion dollar unicorn they're they're much more reasonable and so I think it's okay to raise a bit of money if the terms are okay. Uh and if 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 you can raise a bit of money and, you know, quit your job and work full time on your project, that might be a good way to go as well. Uh Derek Sivers has this great blog post called Switch Careers Like Tarzan. Yeah. Which and the basic idea is that, you know, when you're swinging from vine to vine, you make sure that you've got a hold of the new vine before you let go of the old vine. and i think that's a good principle for building companies so whether it's building it on the side and waiting till it's kind of built up enough revenue for you to quit your job or whether it's raising 100 or 200k and then quitting your job once that's in the bank so that you can build your product full time just make sure there's something there <laughs> you know you don't want to risk so much that you're you're swinging from the old vine just hoping that you can catch the new vine uh it makes sense to not uh not take that much of a risk when you're trying to build something no i think i think that's a great analogy uh, to switch careers like tarzan i think uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it's a great post i i really like derek silver stuff it it's uh it kind of grounds me when i when i read it it feels like oh yeah this is this makes sense just good common sense right and uh, you know uh, you you mentioned that you were uh, uh 
opposed to you know uh, raising funds initially but mm-hmm. uh, but with the, with the kind of funding which is happening especially in southeast asia and, and us where you know uh, i mean you read posts about lot, lot of people raising a lot of capital and and you know younger generation would feel that you know it's uh it's maybe cooler to to you know raise raise funding and all uh, mm. any any you know any suggestions on how how does how does an entrepreneur decide what is right for him uh, or is he right for that business and should he mm. you know uh raise funding for his business well i will tell you i've had two phone calls this week with people who started companies around the same time i did and they both raised money and what they've both said to me is you know <laughs> um raising money definitely puts more pressure on you as the founder right and you'd think it would be the opposite but especially with traditional venture capital they're not putting a million dollars into your company because they want to get 2 million back they're putting a million dollars in your company because they want to get 100 million back and uh that means that there's going to be an expectation for you to really grow fast you know transistor is in the single digits of million single digit millions of revenue every year and just getting there is challenging enough but if i had someone breathing down my neck saying you've got this can't be that this is you have to be doing 500 million dollars a year that i can't imagine the pressure and it would take all the fun out of running a company um you're kind of doing a deal with the devil where you're going to instead of having the freedom you want this is why i think really identifying what you want is important if you do just want to you know shoot for the stars and you know you're going to swing hard or go home like that's fine but make sure you you're identifying what you want if what you're looking for is freedom purpose um financial margin a good life a creative life working with people you enjoy a sustainable um pace of living then don't don't raise venture capital <laughs> it's just it, it that's that's is probably succinct of, uh, that's probably the best way to put it right um so yeah you have to be clear about what you want and then make sure whatever uh avenue you choose aligns with that purpose and uh for me i've just again maybe it's because i had kids young but the idea of just betting the farm or you know swinging for the fences and if if it it's not a home run then i'm going home uh never appealed to me i just wanted a good life i wanted to be able to go snowboarding when i want to go snowboarding go for a bike ride go to the beach uh i i didn't want that pressure and so it it, it didn't make sense for me right i think uh, you know setting your values and and deciding what sort of lifestyle you need is is very important and and a lot, a lot of i think younger people uh they they would they might read on tech crunch on their friends or somebody raising a lot of funding and 
they might think that's the that's the right way to live life but i think uh mm-hmm. if you decide on your values i think that's that's important and uh, you know uh, uh by the just- way can i can i one thing is uh i'm fairly certain that john and i are paying ourselves more than yeah. my friends who have raised venture capital so i think there's also this idea that if you raise money that it's kind of it it's better for you financially as the founder and i don't know if that's true now right. the payouts could be bigger right. if you sell and um you know some sort of liquidity event especially for a funded startup is kind of the end game like you want to be acquired by somebody big and there's you know a handful of those companies or you want to go public and yeah you if if you build a massive unicorn the the payouts for those can be quite good but uh, it, it, everything for the rest of us the 99.9% of us um if you just want to make a good salary um it it probably makes more sense to bootstrap find a category a product category that has you know enough demand uh and enough volume that you can build it up and keep the company small and earn a comfortable living that way uh otherwise you know like the people i know who have raised money they have a board who kind of set salaries or they feel guilty about paying themselves too much because they've taken money so it doesn't really give you that financial freedom that you might be looking for right and uh, you know uh, uh, justin you you've been podcasting for uh, for almost a decade now and uh, uh, you, you know i i i'm pretty regular in my in my content cadence but uh, uh, what advice would you give me on how do you promote a podcast what's the best strategy on uh, on content distribution and promotion sure yeah um so I, i mean the best way to start a podcast is if you have an existing audience um cuz and and if you look at the top podcast this is very true right so joe rogan really was able to take his tv popularity and put that into the podcast uh, conan o'brien has a big podcast he was able to do that uh, mark maron was basically an unknown but he knew a bunch of famous people and he was able to interview them and um grow the podcast that way i think that technique is actually open to a lot of podcasters right you Thanks. can still interview people that have bigger audiences than you and get them to share the show that's what i did when i got started uh, i interviewed you know people who had big audiences in the product space and um one trick i actually did is even when my listenership was small i polled my listeners so i sent them a survey and i said here's five people that i'd like to talk to who do you want to hear from the most and they would vote and whoever the top pick was i would take a screenshot of the results and then i would send it to them saying you are the person my audience wants to hear from the most 89% of my audience wants to hear from you next on the podcast can we arrange a meeting and so i used that little trick to uh as a way of getting an introduction to people and showing them just how much the listeners want to hear from them. Uh I think having a trailer episode is really important. A lot of people don't have a trailer, just a short one or two minute uh well produced uh commercial basically for your show. Apple Podcasts and Spotify will show your trailer usually at the top of um your podcast listing listing. 
optimizing your podcast title for search. So having some keywords in there that uh, people might be searching for. So if you're a podcast about startups, it helps to have the word startups in your title. The search algorithms for Spotify and Apple specifically are not very sophisticated. They basically just search for keywords in the show title. Uh, what else? I think um, if you have an email list, let your email list know about your podcast when you publish a new episode. Uh, create transcripts. I actually have been doing all my editing in a tool called Descript. Yeah. So you just drag audio into it. It creates a transcription automatically. And you can use that transcription in the blog post or you know different places. It also allows you to export little audiograms. So you've seen these where you know the words are highlighted and it's kind of animated. Uh, it's a way of creating an animated audio video. And you can share those on LinkedIn, on Facebook, uh, YouTube. So I think having a process where you, you create a bunch of these assets every time you uh, release a new episode is really helpful. And then just sharing it everywhere. Just always be sharing it. Um, a couple directories people miss are podchaser.com and podacy.com. Those are the home of really avid podcast listeners. And so you can rate and review and discuss episodes on there and engage with this group of people who listen to a lot of shows and, um, you know, like discussing the latest episodes they've just heard. So yeah, there's a, definitely a few things you can do. Uh, you don't need to have a massive audience to start a podcast. There's other ways of kind of leveraging what you do. And, um, I think actually recording video like we're doing right now in Zoom is another big one. You can get the video and then you can create little video clips and tweet those out. Our most, uh, our second most popular episode of the show I do with John is an interview we did with Jason Freed, but we recorded the video and then I shared the video on Twitter and, you know, it has, I think, I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000 views or something. Uh, and that drove a lot of interest to the podcast because people wanted to hear the rest of the story, right? So using video clips, don't publish the whole thing to YouTube. I think that's unnecessary, but definitely really kind of spicy clips from the show that you can share, I think uh, can really help with promotion. I think uh, you've put in a lot of uh, golden nuggets. I really like, you know, uh, doing a survey and trailer episode and uh, you know, transcripts have been also using Descript, uh, which is taught by Andrew Mason. I think it's, I think that's a, that's a great product. And since yeah. it was part of the OnDeck Fellowship, I think Descript was very popular over there as well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and uh, you, you you know, you said uh, podcasting uh, is, is very small, but uh, there, there's a lot of talk about Joe Rogan getting uh, you know big deal from Spotify, which is around I think five hundred million dollars. But do you think mm -hmm. a podcasting can be really big uh, in future, or do you think we we see that just betting on a, on a uh, on a on a small uh, market for now? Yeah, I, I think the Joe Rogan deal was a hundred million. Yeah. Um, podcasting in terms of venture scale is still small. I actually, I just wrote a piece on this called podcasts and capital. And I'm actually confused why <laughs> venture capitalists are putting so much money into it because it just does not have the characteristics, the traditional characteristics of venture scale 
uh, exits or even like the, the number of participants necessary to get to a certain uh, kind of level. So podcasting has been growing very like slow and steady. If you look at the chart since 2008, it's like we add between 5, 10, 15, 16. You know, the biggest year it grew was 23%. Today, I have an interesting stat for you. Did you know that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. It's very gradual growth. There's no hockey stick in podcasting. And I like it. It's a gradual growth curve. It's sustainable. It shows that podcasting isn't a flash in the pan. Um, you know, the listeners that we have right now are committed listeners. They're not going to abandon podcasting for TikTok or Snapchat or whatever the flavor of the month is. And the, the, the deals that Spotify is doing, we'll have to see if they pan out. I could be wrong, but they seem too big for podcasting. Uh, it's YouTube ran a similar playbook when it started. It was, uh, you know, trying to, uh, trying to, uh, get creators to come onto their platform from other places like iFilm and Adam films. And they were paying, they were paying these, you know, nice, juicy, exclusive contracts for people to post their content on YouTube. And it worked out for them, but YouTube, uh, YouTube and video is massive. Uh, it's just a much, much bigger market than audio will ever be. And uh, I'm not convinced that all that capital is good for podcasting. And uh, I'm not even convinced that like the exits we've had so far, Megaphone uh, was, I think, 200 and some million. It's just not a venture scale exit. It's an amazing exit for, you know, if if there was no venture capital involved, uh, Simplecast, one of our competitors, sold for $28 million. Uh, again, just not a, that's not a great venture scale exit. It's, it's, it's relatively small when it comes to uh, venture-backed startups. So I'm, I'm not convinced the money's good for podcasting. I wonder what's going to happen if, if all of these, you know, Spotify and even Apple now and VC companies, when they discover that maybe they've overcapitalized in podcasting and there's actually nothing here and they take all their money and go home. All those creators that were depending on that money, all of the networks, all of the you know, platforms, uh, it's no fun when a, a, bunch of the mon- a bunch of the money evaporates overnight. So I'm, I'm somewhat concerned about it. I think podcasting is a great category. I love it a lot. Uh, and I'm worried that, um, you know, the big money is going to ruin it. That, I think last year, uh, podcasting got to $1 billion in ad revenue. That was for the entire category. $1 billion in ad revenue for the entire category. Podcasting is tiny compared to <laughs> radio, compared to print, compared to online advertising compared to video advertising, it's just so small. And so it doesn't make sense to 
invest that kind of money in some, in a category that's this tiny. Uh, I think it's going to grow, but it's never going to be a hundred x that, at least not anytime soon. Yeah, I think I also agree that you know it's uh, it's not venture scale, but uh, needs to see you know where it pans out and. Uh, uh, you know uh what is uh or what are some of the analytics you know one should look at uh when people are you know trying to see if the podcast is growing uh you know since since your company is also into you know providing analytics yeah uh, i can tell you what i look at i look at uh, we provide an estimated average number of subscribers and usually most shows will kind of settle in to a number. And I think for the podcast I do with John, it's 1,500 estimated subscribers. So those are the people that will download and listen every time we publish a new episode. Now, I also like to, in Transistor, I like to sort by most listens and, uh, you know, when we do that, we see that Taylor Otwell and Jason Freed, those interviews that we did with them are the top two episodes. They have like 12,000 and 8,000 listens uh, each. And that's helpful too. You know, okay, well, I can see they're very popular and people were looking for them. And uh, it's good to know. Good to know that if we wanted to do that kind of show, we could probably increase our numbers if that was important to us. Um, and then uh, I look at in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, um, you can see where people are dropping off in those platforms. And that can be helpful as well. So if people on average are only consuming 50% of the show, you can actually listen and see, oh, where are they actually dropping off here and maybe fixing that. Uh, generally, every show has a downward curve, <laughs> right? Like uh, every show, there will be more listens at the beginning than the end. But uh, if there's a significant drop in listens, it might be that either the show is too long or you're doing something in that segment that people don't like. So yeah, it makes sense to to look at those things. Um, and also actually looking on Transistor, you can see what app people are using to listen. And so, you know, for a tech show, uh, Overcast will probably be quite popular. Well, Overcast has uh, an ad platform where you can advertise your podcast in app to listeners. So if you have a lot of Overcast listeners, makes sense maybe to advertise in the app and you might get a lot more of those same listeners. So uh, you can use your, your stats that way as well. And uh, are there any suggestions on, you know, how, how do you get uh, the sponsors for, for podcasts? Or do you think, you know, <clears throat> somebody should should wait till they have 10,000 downloads a month uh, to look out for sponsors? No, no. I think you can get sponsors quite early. Uh, I've got an article on this too. I'll give you for your show notes. Um, so at the beginning, when John and I started Transistor, you know, Transistor, the company, wasn't making very much money. But we had this little podcast where we were sharing the journey of building the company and uh, people wanted to advertise on it. So we started with, uh, it was a $300 a month commitment and you had to do it at least two months. And that got you a, uh, a little ad spot in 
four episodes a month. So, and, and at the time, you know, our listener base wasn't massive at all. So I think you can have, you know, a thousand downloads a month and, um, or a thousand downloads per episode, I should say, sorry. And you can get sponsors. You can even have less than that. I, I have, there's some podcasts on Transistor where they have hundreds of listeners, but they're the right kind of listeners. They're, you know, there's one that's like an energy podcast. They have got all these oil executives listening. Well, you only need, if people want to reach those folks, then uh, you might not need that many listens to get bigger sponsorship deals. The other thing that John and I did is we had a Patreon for our show. And I've been really surprised. Uh, <laughs> that's consistently made uh, $300 to $400 a month for a Transistor. And in the beginning, that was like more than we were making in you know, monthly revenue from the, the software. Uh, these days, we, we donate most of that. Um, but uh, at the beginning, it was really helpful. So I think for a lot of podcasters making, you know, we were doing 300 to $1,000 a month in podcast uh, revenue. That's pretty significant, I think, especially if you're doing it on the side. So yeah, you can do it with smaller numbers for sure. I think I think that's good to know that you know uh, you make some money. You don't have to have ten thousand downloads. And yes. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, it's hard to choose. Um, I mean, Getting Real changed my life. But Anything You Want by Derek Sivers is also an incredible read. I, I highly recommend both those books. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started Transistor, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Oh, that's such a great question. I think, um, hmm, the investing in really solid distribution channels is really key. So even if there's a lot of momentum in your category, you have to have a way of reaching customers and acquiring customers. And search engine optimization, I think is going to be big for almost every category of product. How do I start a podcast? Best podcast hosting. Uh, so whatever that is for your category, it makes sense to invest in that as strong as you can right from the beginning. And also to build relationships with people who have that kind of traffic and might be able to help you send some of that traffic your way. Um, also very helpful. So I think if I went back in time, I'd, we did invest in that pretty early, but I would even double down on it even more. If I could go back in time with the keyword data I have now, that it was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good one. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Yeah. Uh, Descript is massive for podcasters. I think Descript's really incredible. Uh, and something else we use all the time. Um, uh, well, actually, you know, I'll say... Writing an email newsletter um, has been really big for me. And so uh, I've been with ConvertKit for quite a while. And uh, they, yeah, they've been, um, especially early on when I was building an audience alongside podcasting, I found that the two worked well together, email newsletters and podcasting. 
And uh, yeah, I, I'd recommend that for folks as well. There's something about uh, speaking out loud that's very, very effective, but also writing uh, is an entirely different experience. And I think also good for just growing as a person, but also eventually connecting with customers. We'll put that uh, in, in, in the show notes. Uh, Justin, uh, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Transistor? Oh, yeah. So go to transistor.fm. Uh, if you go to transistor.fm slash start, I've, I have a guide on how to start a podcast. And you can reach me on Twitter. I'm the letter M, letter I, Justin, M-I, Justin. I will put that in the show notes. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, this was great. This was a nice way to spend an afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.